Uh, welcome again, my name is Jason. If you're new here, we're quite honored that you are here. Uh, we call ourselves a community of grace and peace for our city and the world. And that's our best attempt to summarize uh, some of the most important things we feel called to be as we follow Jesus together in the world. Uh, other ways that we describe ourselves, sometimes we call ourselves a community of believers and doubters and everybody who's a little bit of both because frankly we just have discovered that for most of us in life there are seasons where we know l less about what we believe and other seasons where we know more about it and we hate the fact that sometimes communities like this are the hardest place to live that entire journey and we don't think that's the way it ought to be. Uh, we have these mantras that describe uh, what we're reaching for too and if you want to learn more about them just head over to the corner there's some cards there that describe each one of these mantras, but these are also some anchors in the ground. Things like everyone an icon, that uh, we are here to honor the image of God in one another, and especially in the people we have the hardest time seeing it in. So anyway, we're honored that you're here. Uh, there's a lot going on in our life together, whether it's the endless adaptations of pandemic life and changes in Sunday morning protocols, or whether it's uh, some of the stuff that we've been working on about a future home for our community in a physical space. With all that going on, we try to up our communication game. And what we have discovered is that some of you don't check your email. And so because of that, uh, we know that uh, for many, texting is a more efficient way to get some bottom line information to you. We did this last week, but in case you weren't here, I want to do it one more time. We're adding a, a text option for you to stay updated on things in our church. We won't spam you. We won't text you just for the sake of texting you. We won't put you in a group text with the rest of the church. Uh, but we will use this, if you sign up for it, to send you just the kind of bottom line important information that you need. Also, during the winter, this might be a great way for you to know if we cancel gatherings because of weather or the furnace not working, for example. So anyway, if you want it, pull out your phone right now uh, and just text the number 866-397-2089 and send SBCC to that number. And then, of course, you can opt out at any time if it's not working for you. Uh, I'll leave that up there just a little bit longer in case you're still getting it in your phone. But again, you're going to text the number 866-397-2089 and send the letters SBCC to that number and you'll be on the list. Sound good? Good. You're welcome. Uh, I'm curious before we get into our teaching today, uh, if we could just debrief that prayer time for a moment. We prayed for Ukraine in a form of prayer that was, for lack of a better word, kind of liturgical or structured. And then Mariah led us in that, that breathing prayer. Um, anybody have like one word for what you experienced during that time? And it could be a, a positive, glowing affirmation of what we just did. Or it could be like, nah, it didn't work for me. But anybody have like a word or two for just like what that was like for you? Peace. Grounding, I think I heard, yeah. Love. Love. Love, yeah. Invitation. Invitation. Calming. Calming. Opening. Opening. Reminders. Reminders, yeah. Rest. Rest, nice. Connecting. Connecting. I see fingers pointing. Yes, here in the column. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Just being present. Just being present. And listening. And listening. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for helping me, by the way. That was nice. I just kept following around until I got there. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, nice. Well, thank you. Uh, you're also kind and encouraging in your responses. Uh, and I, I, I'll say I, I felt that very much myself. I know I, I needed the structure of that prayer for Ukraine to help kind of channel some of the raw feelings and energies around what we've seen this week. And then for Mariah to kind of help us just like be all the way here and kind of center ourselves, that was really helpful for me. Uh, I am curious though to not hear any other words that I thought I, I might have heard. Um, because it's been my experience personally and in conversation with lots and lots and lots of people that prayer is really complicated for a lot of us, especially when it comes to the asking. That when prayer comes down to like addressing things that need to change in the world, things that aren't working in the world, I've discovered that prayer can be kind of complicated for us. And uh, I raise that because we're working through the Sermon on the Mount, and today's text, I think, actually raises some of these questions. And so we're going we're gonna to go like headlong into the, some of the conflicted feelings that we might have about this text, and we're going to try to work it out together. Uh, but as we've been working through the Sermon on the Mount, we're in Matthew 7. We're coming to the home stretch here. And as we look in Matthew 7, we see this from Jesus. He says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good, thanks Jesus, <laughs> though you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Uh, tricky text if you've lived more than about five minutes, right? Let's talk about it. Uh, first of all, I'll, I'll call out the father thing. I know it can be really complicated for a lot of people because for a lot of people, father doesn't name a, a positive experience that would kind of work in Jesus's argument here where it's like, well, hey, you know, your father's been good to you. Imagine how much better God's gonna be to you. And I know for a lot of people, father is a word for somebody who wasn't good to you or who wasn't there or who you wish hadn't been there because that would have been better than who showed up in that role in your life. Um, I just, we get that, and we know that's a tricky thing about these metaphors, right? Um, I think it's radically appropriate and completely fair game if mother was a better experience for you to like bring that in here. Um, certainly God is not gendered, right? Uh, but if there has been a parental presence in your life, whether it was your actual mom or dad or somebody else who filled that role, who did it in a loving, trusting, safe way, I think that's one kind of hack you can do in the text that I think is fully fair game, right? But I think it's actually a bigger challenge here. Um, when it comes to Jesus talking about asking and receiving, because just, I, I know almost everyone in the room has a long list of things that you've asked for that you haven't received. And I'm not talking about winning the lottery or like more money at work, although like maybe you've asked for those things and you haven't gotten them and maybe you could have enjoyed them, I get that. I'm talking about like really, really vital and important things that we have asked for. Uh, I've walked long enough in my own life and with my friends and as a pastor in a community like this to know that, that, that if you really dig into it, almost everybody, if they think back, has that list of things throughout their life that they have asked for that they have not received. And they're the kinds of things that when you look at the list, you would think, why on earth wouldn't God give that? Especially when Jesus says this kind of thing, like, ask and you'll receive, right? Uh, I raise it because we just prayed for Ukraine. And I have no idea whether we will look back and feel like those prayers did something, actually. 
I think it was important to pray them. I think there's lots of reasons to pray that way, I think. And we can go on and on about that. But right now, I'm just kind of calling out the tension in this text, right? Um, In the last couple of weeks, I've been on a sprint of um, getting to spend time with families in our church. So it's kind of been this, like, really beautiful um, reconnecting period as we come out of pandemic life. And after a long period of not having much proximity, I've been in um, many homes of members of our community in the last couple of weeks. And they've been great conversations, and I've sensed many things, and a lot of stories have been told, and some of them are really good and beautiful and joyful. But there's a lot of really, really painful stories in our community right now, Um, whether it's things that have nothing to do with COVID or specifically the way that life during a pandemic has just broken people and families, whether it's on the career front or the economic front, or the physical health front, or the mental health front. Um, There have been what feels like a lot of unanswered prayers during these last couple of years. And so like you you feel the tension in this text, right? Jesus says, ask for good things. God's a good father. Wasn't God gonna give you all these good things that you need? And again, I think a lot of us, if we put ourselves in the position of an actual parent, and we imagine the child of ours asking for the things that we have asked God for, and you imagine that as a parent you actually have the power to give them, we would give them. Like you ask for health or healing or you ask for um, that baby to be safe or you ask for like economic provision or you ask for that violence to stop or you ask for that abuse to end or you ask for mental health to get better or whatever. And like if you were a parent who had the power to give these things to a kid who asked, you would do it. And Jesus says, God's even better than that. And then we look around and we just don't see it all the time, do we? Now, I don't mean to be the uh, party pooper today. (laughs) I promise we're going to go somewhere with this. But I just don't want to do this naive thing that sometimes happens at pulpits where preachers talk about texts like this as if they've never lived a human life, as if they're talking to people who've never lived a human life. And I don't think that does any service to us or uh, to what Jesus is doing here. Uh, I remember a while ago I was talking to a friend of mine who was specifically... um, sharing with me how prayer just doesn't work for him anymore. And he told me the story of how it stopped working for him. Specifically, uh, he had a pet, a dog, who um, had like a heart condition that was probably going to be a very early end for this dog's life. And he talked about how at first his thought was to pray for the dog. And then he just had this thought that had never struck him before, which was, wait, what if God does heal my dog? Then I have a whole new problem. Because then I have a God who answers prayers for the healing of my dog, but doesn't answer prayers for the healing in the world. I have a a God who, like, addresses my, like, suburban privileged little concern for my pet, but doesn't seem to be as responsive to what ought to be more urgent requests that we are praying for in the world, for peace and justice, for, for the things that, like, matter on a much larger scale. And he basically said, that's the day I stopped praying, because I couldn't figure my way out of it. If I pray and ask for this and I get what I've asked for, I have a whole different kind of problem that I've got to dig into. Um, just be honest, anybody relate to these questions or challenges? Yeah, some of us have been there, right? Cool, I'm not alone. I'm not going too far out on a limb here. Um, part of what we're talking about is what theologians sometimes call the problem of divine action, which is God acting in the world raises questions. Like, how would we decide if that was God acting or not? And, and what do we do if God sometimes acts and sometimes different? 
And this is where theologians get into the tall weeds around issues of like free will and spiritual warfare and all that kind of stuff. And we don't have time for all that today. And I'm not sure that all of those discussions are really helpful when the pain that you're feeling is so personal because there just have been unanswered prayers. But again, I just want to keep being real and driving at like what we're going to do with Jesus who says God's going to give you the things that you ask for when so many of us have asked for things that we haven't gotten. Here's the crazier thing about it. Uh, that story I told about my friend and his dog, right? About, you know, oh, I want to pray for my pet because I love my pet and I want my pet to be better and I don't want my kids to have to say goodbye to the pet, right? Did you notice the move that he made in his own sort of reflection? He started with this very narrow circle of awareness, right? You picture like the, the zoom lens, zooming in all the way on his own home and his family and his personal experience there with his pet, right? So at that level, things were fine. But then what happened, right? His, his sort of... Uh, range of awareness expanded, right? He kind of zoomed out, and he wasn't just thinking about his home and his feelings and his kids and his pet and his need. His awareness zoomed out, and he thought about his neighbor, and he thought about the world at large, and it was that move that complicated his prayer life. And what's crazy about that is I think that move, where you go from the narrow zoom on your personal world and your personal feelings and your personal experiences to the big, wide lens on the whole human family, I think that's a move God wants us to make. I think that's a move of awakening and enlightening and maturity for us, right? Like, like we, are, we are often at our worst when all we can see is that narrow frame. And we are often at our best when our frame expands and we imagine that all of us belong to each other and that your problems are my problems and that things in Ukraine are our problems too because we belong to each other. So that's a good move. That's the kind of move I think God wants to make in our lives. That's the way he wants to wake us up, but that's the very move that like broke prayer for my friend. And I think that's what's been going on with a lot of people who are having a hard time with this right now. As your sphere of awareness grows larger, things get more complicated. So I got to tell you guys, like, I was like turning to this text this week because this is where we are in the Sermon on the Mount. And I read it and my first thought was, crap. <laughs> this, this is like one of the hard ones. And then my next thought was, I don't want to open the commentaries because they often are unsatisfying on these questions. <laughs> Uh, sometimes, like, like I had this big stack of books that I used to study scriptures. I have lots of scholars that I try to learn from, people who know the Greek and the Hebrew and all that stuff. And I think it's part of my job to make sure I do that work. Not that we all need to be like wonky academic theologians, but that like I want to do good work on the text. And I remember like sitting at my home, having the stack of commentaries next to me and dreading the fact, the fear that I was going to open them up and they were going to gloss right over this and just give some stuffy sort of removed academic opinion about what this text means without any engagement with real life. And then I open the first commentary, and this is the first sentence of commentary. These verses appear to be exceedingly naive. <laughs> Isn't that good? These verses appear to be exceedingly naive. And I felt so much solidarity. I was like, thank you. I felt like so helped in that moment. Now, of course, the scholar had a lot more to say about that, and we're going to say a lot more about this, but I just like, was so thankful to hear that first. These verses appear to be exceedingly naive. If you have been frustrated with unanswered prayers, you're not alone. You're not crazy. If this text is complicated for you, you're not alone. You're not crazy. You, in fact, you're in good company. Uh, one of the most important figures in Christian history, besides Jesus, had a very pointed experience of unanswered prayer. A guy named Paul. Paul is responsible for more of the New Testament than anybody else actually writing the New Testament. So that's pretty good cred for a guy in faith, right? He wrote the Bible. Uh, he launched churches all over the ancient world. 
And there's this personal struggle that Paul describes in kind of cryptic terms in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says this, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. By the way, nobody knows what this was, which I kind of love, because since you don't know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was, it's easier to imagine that whatever yours is applies. That's kind of nice, right? We, like, we don't know. Some people assume that it was a physical ailment. Some people think it was some other kind of struggle. Like, we don't know, but I think the beauty of that in the text is it's kind of vagary. Like, it leaves all of this room for you to imagine that whatever you would describe as a thorn in your flesh, whatever is tormenting you, maybe you have some solidarity with Paul when he says this. And he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Three times I asked. And then his response, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Not some dramatic act of healing or removal of the circumstance, not some big demonstration of power that got rid of this thing for Paul. Three times he asked and didn't receive what he asked for. And instead he felt like he heard this response. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So first of all, I'd say, like, you're not crazy. You're not on your own. You're in really good company. If the asking part of praying has been really hard for you or frustrating in seasons like this, right? Now, here's the other move I want to make, though, and it has to do less with circumstance. Um, I want to remind us of, of where we hear this promise from Jesus about asking and receiving. It's late in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, remember what Jesus has been doing from the beginning of Matthew chapter 5 onward. Jesus has been saying, God wants to give God's life to you and live God's life through you. This is his way of saying, like, the, the kingdom of heaven is yours. The kingdom of God is yours. The reign of God is yours to receive and participate in. God wants to live God's life in you. And then he's given us all of these pictures, these snapshots, these practices, these, these warnings about what can take us out of that life and these promises about the possibilities of this kind of life. He has described a kind of life where we don't uh, repay evil for evil. He's described a kind of life where we don't view other people as objects for our own gratification, whether sexual or otherwise, but where we see other people as whole human beings. He's described a life where, uh, where we stop worrying, where we aren't plagued by anxiety because we find that the competency of God that we see displayed in the world around us is trustworthy for the life that we are living. Um, he's described a way of life that, that like full movements of peace and justice in the world have been built on. Some of the most effective movements of social change in the history of the world have been explicitly built on the life that Jesus is describing in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And I don't know about you, but one of the feelings I have when I read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is this weird kind of conflicted thing where I'm breathless for two reasons. One, because I'm hopeful. Like, what if life could actually be like that? What if I could actually become like that? And on the other end, I'm anxious because I'm like, I don't know if I can pull that off. Have you felt that at all in the last few weeks or months that we've been working through this, like this picture of life and God living it with you? Has there been anything inside that like, uh, has your appetite wet for that kind of life? Anything inside that's awakened a little bit to say, oh man, all of these old ways of being and living and relating, maybe that's not the way it has to be for me and for us. All these tired old ways of being human together that aren't working for us, have you felt anything inside this? It's like maybe it doesn't have to be that way. Maybe we are actually being invited into a different kind of possibility and it's in the here and now. And if you felt that at all, maybe you've also felt right alongside it this thing which is like, yeah, but I don't know if I can do it. These are tall orders, right? I have a personal situation going on in my life 
that calls for uh, mercy and forgiveness. And I have been working on it for four years now. A, a situation that for four years now has come up in my mind at least once a day. Um, there's some circumstantial factors that keep confronting me with it. It's not a local thing. It's not an SBCC thing. But I have this thing going on for four years now. I've been circling around it, trying to figure out how to get to the part where I know how to actually finally just let it go. These are hard things that we're called to, but I'm also quite aware that if I can get to that point, not only will I be better, but I'll be like more aligned with the life of God in the world, because thank God, God doesn't hold grudges and keep accounts of those kinds of things, right? So like, these are like tall orders, these are hard things, but I also have this feeling that these are good things, that this is the kind of thing that we want to be. I'll also say, as a pastor, one of the surprising lessons I've learned over and over again in the last uh, 18 years of doing this, that was a scary number for me to come up with. <laughs> um, what I find is that more people like, opt out of a faith identity or opt out of life in church or opt out of this whole thing that we're talking about. More people opt out of it not because they're like, too prideful or selfish or uh, too busy for it. I find more people opt out of it because they don't think they're eligible for it. I just I can't tell you how many times I've been across the table from somebody deep into a conversation about the things that they're wrestling with when we finally put our finger on it and what they say is some version of I just don't have that in me. There's something fatally flawed about me that renders me ineligible to the life that we are reaching for here. And so rather than continuing to just face that failure, I would just rather opt out. I've had that conversation over and over and over and over again. And it's, it's with all of that kind of backdrop, the Sermon on the Mount, this life that Jesus is talking about, and then this teaching on asking that makes me think that he's not talking about changes in circumstance. I think he's talking about people who are taking seriously the teaching and trying to figure out how they're going to get there. People who have had their appetite wet for a different way of life, a different way of being in the world, a different way of building the world together, and then having been inspired by this picture, are then defeated by how far away it feels from who we are and where we are right now. I think he's talking to those people. He's talking to disciples who, like, by definition and identity have said, I am enrolled in the school of Jesus. I am enrolled in this way of life. I want to become like that. I want to act like that. I want to do that. I want to be held to account for that way of life. And after he spent, like, verse after verse after verse talking about that way of life, then he says, ask for it and you will receive. Knock on the door, like implore your way into this realm, into this way of life, and that when you do that, you will be welcomed and you will be given what you need. That's what I think the heart is of this text, that this is a text not about people who are trying to get things, but about people who are trying to become something. And that in the act of becoming, we will find that God is with us in that act in a powerful way. Um, Another way this plays out in my life that I think about it. There are um, two big things in my life, two big kind of current projects that I feel like really called toward and compelled to. And they're like, they're very specifically like me as a follower of Jesus, when I think about right now in my life, where, where, where does that sort of bring itself to bear and call me out into something? Some big projects, they're daunting and they're exciting and they're intimidating, and I have a lot of days where I, I am, if I'm honest, really wrestling with the demons that tell me like I don't have what it takes and I just can't get there. 
And a while ago when I realized that both of these projects feel so daunting, even though I also feel really inspired by them and really excited about them and wanting to get after them, when I realized that was going on and I also was praying about it and discovering that along the way things were happening to help me, I opened up a note on my phone and it's just called Keep Going. And what I try to do is anytime anything comes along to kind of help me keep going, I just, I just write it down in that little note. And a couple years into these projects, I have this long list of these, of these surprising moments where if, if I could describe the feeling as best as possible, it's like the wind is a little bit at my back even while I'm walking up a tall mountain. Like the walk is still challenging. It's tiring from time to time. And there are a lot of days when the peak is like uh, hidden from sight because it seems so far away. And yet, at the very same time, when I find myself like most at the breaking point, when I most need it, I just keep discovering little things happen that I could miss if I wasn't paying attention. And it feels a little bit like the wind at my back, like a little something saying, keep going, I've got you. I'm gonna give you just enough. Or in other words, my grace is sufficient for you. Not overwhelming, not, not a, a tidal wave, but sufficient. Like, I'm gonna give you just what you need to keep walking in this direction if you stay awake and keep paying attention. That's been my experience on these projects, and that's been my experience every time I turn my attention back to what Jesus seems to be calling me toward, that when I ask for it, I am given what I need, often not what I want, often not things that would make it incredibly easy, but like just what I need. Makes me think a little bit, uh, this is probably a uh, predictably um, uh, trite metaphor, but hang with me on it. I, uh, I don't like to like work out with other people, uh, but I go to the gym and uh, the other day uh, I had my AirPods in and I'm listening to music and um, I realized that somebody is like trying to get my attention and I pull my Air- AirPods out and they're stuck under a bar and they need a spot, you know? <laughs> so I oh sorry bro. So I come over. And so then I hang with him for his next two sets. And uh, because I like, don't ever work out with other people, spotting's kind of a new experience for me. And, um, and what I realized while I'm spotting him there is um, he's like talking me through the spot, which by the way, he asked me to spot him and then he's mad at me for not doing it well. I'm like, back off, bro. I'll leave you under the bar if you need. But anyway, so I'm trying to spot him and he's kind of intense and he's both mad at me and asking me to help him and I'm there spotting him under the, you know, the bench press. And what I realized, like slowly kind of putting together while I'm there, is there's such a thing as like spotting too much if the point of this exercise is for him to grow stronger. Right? If the reason he's in the gym is for his own body to become something that it isn't right now, to become stronger, to become better, to become more well, to become more whole, right? If the reason he's at the gym is to become stronger, well, then there's such a thing as like breaking your body. That's not good, right? Like being left under the bar, um, you know, having your rib cage compressed. That's not good. But there's also a way for me to show up in that moment to help him that completely defeats the reason that he's there. And so it's like, and I'm, I, you know, I, also spot is kind of oddly intimate. I don't know if you've ever done it, but you're there at the bench and like, I don't know you, bro. This is weird. Uh, but you, you get your, your hands under the bar and you, like, you're right there and you're very, very focused and intent on what's happening. And you realize there's a real subtle art to giving just enough help to ensure that this exercise is for him the thing that he needs to grow a little stronger that day, to become a little more of of what it is that he showed up at the gym for in the first place. And whether it's the wind at your back or the spotting metaphor that helps you, these seem to be the kinds of images that, that describe better how it is that we experience the God who promises to give us what we ask for um, I, don't, I don't have a lot of evidence that God changes our circumstances when we ask him to do that, but I do have a, a, a growing mountain of evidence in my own life and in the lives of other people 
that anytime we take seriously the invitation Jesus is giving us here to become the kind of person he describes in the Sermon on the Mount, that we will discover that the life of God is with us and even in us and moving through us with just enough help to keep us becoming what it is that we are here to become. Now, I have one other point of evidence for my interpretation. Uh, Maybe you're not buying it yet. Maybe you think these verses are just exceedingly naive. But if it's true that what Jesus is talking about specifically is the life of God in you helping you become the kind of person he describes in the sermon, well, it's interesting the way that Luke, which is another gospel, translates this same verse, or interprets, writes the same verse. So um, if you don't know this, in in the Bible we have four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And all of them tell the story of the life of Jesus. And what's interesting is Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell a lot of the same stories. But they're each doing their own kind of theological thing as they write these biographies. These aren't just uh, journalistic biographies meant to just give you the facts of a person's life. They are theological stories that are meant to give you the impact of Jesus' life, their experience of of the, the heart of Jesus in their lives. And so you see these interesting little differences in the way they tell the same stories. And Luke gives us this same teaching from Jesus. But again, I'm trying to argue that God's not just here to like shower down lottery winnings or circumstantial changes, but specifically the thing Jesus is talking about is that God will give you what you need to keep becoming the kind of person he describes in the sermon. That's the argument I'm making. And in Luke, I think there's a little evidence in that direction because Luke trans, or let me show you in Matthew, first of all, this is what Matthew says again. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Okay. Luke tells the same teaching, but instead of good gifts, watch what he does. Here's the Luke version. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Well, that's interesting. Yeah, he switched something out there. Now, there's a whole debate on which one of these two writers is working with the original source material and which one of the writers um, put their own kind of like theological spin on it. We don't have time to figure that out, and nobody really knows anyway. Uh, But it's interesting that as Luke is trying to help us understand the heart of this teaching, he says the good gift has a name, and it's not a lottery winning. It's not a change in your circumstance. The the name of the good gift is the Holy Spirit. And uh, without spending a whole sermon talking about what that means today either, like wherever you see the Holy Spirit talked about in Scripture, what you will specifically find is that the Holy Spirit is God showing up in like a very real way in somebody's life to help them move in the direction of God's life. That it's the Holy Spirit who gives us the things that we need to live the life that we've been called to. Not that the Holy Spirit just changes circumstances to make things easier, but the Holy Spirit is the gift given to grow us up to help us become the kind of people that Jesus is describing when he describes a life where God is living in a person or a community. I think Jesus is talking about that deeper desire to become the kind of people that on our best days we believe that with God we could actually become. And that on, on, the, on the moments when that desire is so frustrated by our own um, vices and attachments and addictions and struggles, that on those days when we are most feeling defeated by ourselves, I think he is saying, like, in those moments when you feel like you've come to the limit of your capacity to live up to any of this, 
Yeah, good, because it's not just your capacity. You can ask for something beyond you to come into you. You can ask for that wind at your back, and when it comes, it may not be overwhelming. It might be a little bit like a spa epigen, but you may find that you are given just enough, like just what you need to keep walking every day in the direction of who God has called us to become. Uh, this is like a big word for all of us, um, but it might specifically be a word for people who are thinking about baptism, which is coming up on Easter. And so um, we're really, we're coming down to it now, just uh, I think like six weeks away, seven weeks away from Easter. Uh, Lent begins next week, and we're going to keep moving through the Sermon on the Mount, but we're also going to give you some tools to help you discern whether baptism is for you. And baptism has a lot of uh, layers and images stacked upon it. We have uh, an image of death and resurrection, and we have an image of being washed and made clean and all that stuff, and we're going to work some of that out between now and then. But another thing that's always been tied to the experience of baptism is the idea that the Holy Spirit's given to you. That you're, like, you're saying, yeah, I'm actually willing for my life to become like a conduit of this life of God. I'm, I'm trusting that something will be given to me to help me grow up in the way that I'm being called to grow up with God. Now, there's a lot of formulations around like baptism in the Holy Spirit, and frankly, I think they're kind of frustrating at best. People take this mysterious thing that's described like a wind that blows that you can't track down, and they try to make it a math equation or a formula. Um, and I just don't think like the things of God work quite that way. So I want to be careful about like, like I, I, I was baptized when I was young. There were di- times when I heard it talked about where I thought I was literally going to get like zapped when I came out of the water. Like, I don't know, like when uh, Spider-Man gets a superpower or something like that. And I did not experience it that way, right? Um, others have described a, a real kind of profound moment, a sense of being filled. Not everybody has that experience. But just because it's not predictable doesn't mean it's not reliable. And I think there's something reliable that for 2,000 years people have been discovering. That, that when we say, yes, Jesus, I'm actually going to take you seriously and believe that with you I can become the kind of person you're describing here. And then on the days when I don't have enough within me to become that kind of person, you're going to give me what I need. That for 2,000 years people have been discovering that promise to be reliable. And for 2,000 years, um, some of the most beautiful expressions of humanity, <laughs> expressions of humanity that are healing for the world, that are generous toward the world, that move the whole world forward, they have often been predicated upon these promises made by Jesus, that this is a way that we can actually be with one another and with God. Um, this is a very long way of saying that I don't think faith is like a tool for getting things. I'm paraphrasing uh, Eugene Peterson here. I think faith is a profound tool for becoming something, for growing up, for growing whole, for growing in love. And if you've been asking for things that you desperately need right now um, and you haven't gotten them, I'll just say I'm with you in that pain. I'm sorry. But if you have been asking for help in becoming what God has called you to become, growing whole and healing, I suspect that if you haven't yet, you're on the verge of some good stories to tell about that subtle wind at your back. That may not be predictable, but it is reliable. Uh, because God is delighted at the possibility of who we would become with God. If you're able, will you stand to your feet? So whatever you think of yourself, may you know that Jesus looks upon your life and sees the fertile ground of love and peace 
of divine power. Whatever you think of yourself, may you know that Jesus looks upon you and sees a vessel for the life of God. That your life could be the location of the best kinds of things that we could ever put out into the world. This is a word for holiness. And may you know that Jesus sees in you a vessel for holiness. And if you've been caught with the vision of what we could be and then felt defeated, that you don't have enough to be that or to get there, may you ask. May you ask for the gift of God to carry you along and be the wind at your back and help you keep becoming the things that you have been called to be. May you ask for the Spirit to breathe in you and speak through you and to make your life a gift for the world. Uh, may you stop hanging your head for the ways that you have failed just like I have failed and may you hold your head high with the dignity of knowing that God intends to give you what you need so that God could live God's life through you. And may grace and peace be with you. Amen. Love you all. See you next week.